Well, good morning. I am glad that you're here this morning. The lights are coming on because we have some notes to take. We've got so much information that we're trying to cover this morning um, that we want you to be able to follow along with the note taker's guide. Or if you downloaded the app and did the app version, that's there for you as well. If you like, you can see it really easily on your phone. Make sure you can still see those notes, but make sure you have the Uversion app so you can save those notes or email those to yourself. Without that, then everything you type in, you will lose, right? So make sure you have that app so you can save it. Now, we are in a series where we're talking about if you are like me, then sometimes you have doubts. Sometimes you have doubts because we're trying to take this entire enormous thing, this mystical, amazing thing that God has given us and that God has created and done, and we're trying to make that make sense to us. It's a great leap for me, and it might be for you as well, which could lead you, if you're like me, from time to time to have doubts and to have struggles relating to faith and believing all of this and trying to make it make sense. And God had an answer for us, one of many. This is just one type of answer he's given us. Because God actually, to help us believe and understand some of these things, God actually had them written down centuries, centuries, hundreds and hundreds of years before they ever happened. He had them written down, and then he said, wait, watch, and see, and then they happened just like he said they were going to happen. He predicted it, he had them write it down, and it, and it happened. And it's like God is saying, see, I, I told you, that's me, I'm at work, this is my thumbprint on all of this this isn't happening by chance. See, I told you it happened and it happened. And it's just one of those little things, a little thumbprint of God helping us to believe. Helping us to trust and believe and say, you know what? That, I, 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 he wrote it down and it, and it happened. Last week we looked at some of those things that were written before they happened as they relate to Jesus, our Messiah, being born. How God said it was going to happen and then it happened. This morning... We are taking an amazing journey in Scripture. and I mean, this is unbelievable. And that's kind of weird to use that word in relation to belief and doubt, right? But it is so cool how God made this happen. What we're going to share with you today, that's why we want you to have notes to follow along because it's some, it is just wild. What we're going to share with you today has been in this book that we call Scripture, this Bible that, has, that God has kind of put together and given to us, it has been in there a long time. What we're talking about today was written thousands of years ago. And actually, let's be pretty precise here, it was written about 500 years before Jesus was ever born, what we're going to be looking at today. And then it actually happened. What we're going to look at today, oh my goodness, this, this is so amazing. It's perhaps one of the most amazing things in Scripture, and yet I'm going to guess that most of us today have no idea that this is in here. And that's why I'm so excited, because I, I get to present this to you. And I get to show you one of these amazing thumbprints of God that you may not have even known was in here, just waiting on you to read it, to see it, and to say, wow, God is amazing. And it's as if God is saying to you and to me, look, look at it. See, I, I told you, I told you in advance. And, and, and I asked you, I said, be watching for you. And, and look, it, it happened just like I said it would happen. So let's take a look. We've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going 500 years before Jesus was born. Then we're going to jump forward 500. We're going to go back. It's going to be like back to the future. So put on your 1980s clothes. This is going to rock. Here we go. About 500 years before Jesus was born, God told this man to write this stuff down that we're going to be reading. His name was Daniel. Now, Daniel, maybe you heard as a child the story of Daniel in the lion's den. 
This is the Daniel who's writing this down. Maybe you heard of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the guys that were thrown into the fiery furnace. Daniel, those were his buddies. Daniel wrote that story down, all in the book of Daniel. That's where we're going to be, written by this guy named Daniel. Now, let me give you some history here. The reason why Daniel is in captivity is because God told the Israelites, if you keep running away from me and doing all these things on your own, if you keep doing that, if you do, I'm going to allow you to be conquered. That's going to happen. Well, they kept doing it just like we would probably do the same thing. And that he did what he said he would do. He allowed them to be conquered. The temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. And Daniel and all of his buddies got carted off to Babylon, where that's where they had to live their lives. But Daniel knew something. Daniel read scripture, and he knew that the prophet Jeremiah, hundreds of years before, 200 years before, had said, this is going to happen to Israel. You will be captive. It's going to be destroyed, and you will be held captive for 70 years. Daniel knew this because he read it in the book of Jeremiah, the very same thing we could read today. We don't have time to read it. Same thing we could read today. He read it, and he understood it. Yep. He knew this time was coming to an end. It had been about 70 years. And so Daniel's getting a little excited. What, this could all end now? I mean, I, and so he goes to God and he prays. And here's what he prays in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. Listen to this. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. Now, I, it's really cool that he gives us these details because we could take these details, a historian can, and they can take this information, go to the calendar of history, and locate this on the calendar. Thank you, Daniel, for giving us this information. It goes on to say in verse 2, during the first year of his reign, that gives us more information. Historians can take that and put an exact date on it. I, Daniel, during this time, I, Daniel, learned reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet. So here's the, what he was reading about Jeremiah. That Jerusalem must lie desolate, that means destroyed, for 70 years. And here's where the wheels are turning for, for Daniel. He says, so I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. In other words, he's saying, I took this serious because I knew that 70 years was coming to an end. And I wanted to know, God, when is this going to happen? When all, is all of this going to go down? Verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed. Oh, he confessed. Important point here. We all learn from that. He confessed, oh Lord, you're great and awesome. You always fulfill your covenant. In other words, God, if you say it, you're going to do it. If you promise it, it's going to happen. You always fulfill your covenant and you keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. Let's move on. He's confessing. He's asking forgiveness. He's saying, God, when are you going to act? When's something going to happen? We've been held captive. Jeremiah said it was going to end in about 70 years. When is this coming to an end? When are you going to set up your kingdom? Bring this peace. We want peace, God. We want peace. When are we going to have peace? So now he keeps praying and talking to God. We can't read it all. We don't have time. We're going to jump to verse 21, Daniel 9. While I was praying, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the first vision, that goes back to one of these other times he was talking here. We, we can't cover that today. He came to me in my extreme weariness because he had been fasting, praying, talking to God about the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, I just want to pause here on this name, this guy, Gabriel. Gabriel is an angel. Now, when you think of angel, often we think of this, like maybe this majestic being with these wings, maybe not quite like that, but you know what I'm saying? They had, we think of them with wings. That's really not what angels were all about. They didn't have the wing things. We kind of have added that, you know, we got some, we got some uh, descriptions with things, but Gabriel, he is in a class all of his own here. Just very few, actually not his own, but very few of the, the, the hierarchy of angels. Gabriel is among the top, very powerful. So instead of thinking of a winged creature, think of a warrior. That's more like Gabriel here. 
But Gabriel was not just any warrior. Gabriel was always sent by God for some reason is, we could say is, sent by God for some reason. He's the guy that brings a message from God. I mean, God said, Gabriel, go tell them this. He goes. And it always has something to do with the nation of Israel or the Messiah. This is important stuff. When Gabriel speaks, everybody, ourselves included, should listen. Here's what happens in verse 22. He gave me, Gabriel, gave Daniel this explanation. He says, Daniel... I've come now to give you understanding. In other words, you're going you're to understand something really cool here, Daniel. Verse 23. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out, and I have come to give it, for you are treasured by God. That's amazing. I wish I could talk about that. We don't have time. He said, so consider the message and understand the vision. So here's what Gabriel is telling Daniel. He's saying, Daniel and all of Israel, what I am about to tell you, God expects you to think very deeply about this and not just think about it. God expects you to break this down and understand it. God expects it. Understand it. Now, today we're going to be giving you some, some information about calendar dates and things like that. I want you to keep in mind something. This is your first blank on the listening guide. These dates and times, this is very important, are according to the Jewish calendar. Not our calendar, not our modern calendar. The Jewish calendar has different number of days, different months, very different than our calendar. Okay? You can't take this information and apply it to our modern calendar and come up with what we're talking about. This has to be applied to their calendar, what they were using at that time. Thank you for historians for helping us understand this. We're going to be talking about that today. Here's what Gabriel went on to say, verse 24. Seventy weeks. Let's pause on that phrase right there, seventy weeks. When we think of weeks, we think, okay, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's seven days, that's a week. That would be true. It is true, but the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, had more weeks than just days of weeks. Here's the blanket number two. Israel had weeks of days. That's like what we have. They have weeks of weeks. In other words, seven weeks together is a week of weeks. They also had weeks of months. So put seven months together, a week of months, and they also had weeks of years. You put seven years together, you have a week of years. Now, blank number three, this is what we're talking about here. This, what Gabriel is saying here, he's talking about weeks of years. So that's seven years together, that's one week. So here's what he said. Seventy weeks, so that's seventy weeks of years, are decreed about your people. So there's something very important about these 70 years, I mean, 70 weeks of years. Here we go. Something very important is going to happen uh, about your people, your holy city, to bring rebellion to an end. That's going to happen to put a stop to sin. That'll happen during that time to wipe away iniquity, bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. He said, all of this is going to happen in this set amount of time, 70 weeks of years. And then he gets very specific with us. So he takes that 70 weeks and now he takes that and he said, let's divide that up and talk about this amount of time very quickly. Jan Daniel 9 verse 25. He says again, now listen and understand. Listen and understand. He's saying, you Israelites and your ancestors that are to come, you are charged to listen to this and understand it. Know this. Watch for this to happen. I'm going, Gabriel's saying, I'm going to give you very specific information. Watch for this to happen. Be on the lookout. I'm going to tell you, I want you to have a heads up so you can watch for it. And here's the first part. So he breaks down this 70 weeks of seven. So here he goes, seven sets of seven. Let, let me pause here. I'm going to throw out some numbers very quickly here. I got bogged down in the last hour. 
I'm going to give these to you as fast as I can. I want you to keep up with what's happening here, this big umbrella. But let me go to the minutia for just a moment. Here we go. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven. That's what Gabriel says. Here's what that means. Blank four. Seven sets of seven and 62 sets of seven. Here's what that means. Together, put those together, that's 69 sets of seven. That's what you need to know. 69 sets of seven. Now let's go back. He says, 7 sets of seven, 62 sets of seven, which equals 69, will pass... From the time, so here's something important that's going to happen, the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. Gabriel is saying, that's the starting point. So don't let me lose you. That's where it begins, right there, to rebuild. Blank number five, a start time is given. It starts with the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Don't let me lose you, because where we are going with this is phenomenal. It starts with the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. That's what he is saying. Gabriel is saying. Then he goes on. So he's saying, now listen and understand. Here's what's going to happen. We have this group of time. This time is going to begin when the decree comes to rebuild Jerusalem. And then it's going to go all this time and it's going to end with something very important. That's why we're here today. That's why we're talking about this. What happens when it ends? Going to begin here It's going to end here, and God said something amazing is going to happen right here. I'm telling you in advance. Watch for it. It's going to be here. (laughs) This is good. Here we go. Blank six. The countdown ends with something spectacular. Here's what Gabriel told them would happen at the end. Until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. So here it is. The anointed one comes. He said, so here comes the countdown. It starts when we give you the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, and then this timeline's going to go, and it's going to end right here with the anointed one. Let me tell you in advance, that's the Messiah. We know him as Jesus. The anointed one comes as king right here. Anointed one, that means when you're anointed, you're king. The king shows himself right here. So God says it's going to start here. It's going to end here with the king. Here we go. The start time is what? The rebuilding of Jerusalem. He says Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses. So it's going to have streets, a plaza, shopping, shopping centers, Jewish Jerusalem style, um, all in there. It's going to be fun. Not just the temple, not just the walls, the city's up and running and functioning. Despite, he says, perilous times. Then he jumps ahead a bit. I'm not going to finish reading this passage. We're going to come back to it later. I want to pause right here. We're going to think about this time frame. It starts with the decree, and it goes to this point where the king, the Messiah, shows himself to the world. Okay. Daniel, Gabriel gave Daniel the length of time. When we add that up, he said, it's going to come to 69 weeks of years. Blank number seven. 69 sets of seven. Let me do on the Jewish calendar. Can't take our 365 day year because it doesn't apply. That's us, not them. On the Jewish calendar, 69 sets of seven equals 173,000 880. Let me just throw those numbers out real quick. 173, 880. 173,880 days equals that 69 sets of seven. Gabriel said, here's the length of time specifically. When this happens, you can start counting Because in 173,880 days, this is going to happen. That's pretty specific, right? That's very specific. So let's start filling in some of these blanks. So that means on your listening guide, if you're using the paper version, number eight there, we all have this on all the listening guides, but number eight is, it begins with the decree. 
That's the beginning there. So you could draw a line from, on your paper version, from number eight to that X. On the left, that's where it begins. So that's where this timeline here we're talking about begins. And then, uh, then we have number nine. It ends over here with number nine, the anointed one. And you could draw a line from that X down, I mean from that number nine down to that X on the right side. So you have over here, you have the decree, and on the end you have the anointed one. That's what's going to happen. Now, this is where it gets really cool. Because Gabriel gave Daniel the exact number of days. He said, when the decree comes, you can count 173,880 days, and boom, the anointed one is going to present himself as king. Wow. God said it 500 years before it happened. Let's watch this unfold. History confirms this. So let's go back. What, we're having to look for that first thing, where the X, where the time starts. What was that? The decree? Let's go find out when that was. That way we can find out what's coming up next. Here's the decree. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. Early the following spring, the month of Nisan, right here we have that. That's a very specific month, Jewish calendar. Historians look at that and they say, oh yeah, we know where that is. During the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, so they, historians say, yeah, we know when the 20th year was. It was blah, blah, blah here on this date in history. They know that. Thank you, Daniel, for putting that in. I was serving the king. So let me give you a summary of what's happening. Nehemiah is serving the king. He's sad. The king looks at him and says, listen, why are you sad? Nehemiah is not supposed to be sad in front of the king. The king can kill him for being sad in front of the king. Only the king. Important information if you're ever captive. Only the king can be sad. Not you. He was sad. And then the king notices, why are you sad? And, and suddenly Nehemiah's like, oh my goodness, um, um, I love you king. And he starts saying, but how can I not be sad? Because my entire city is destroyed. It's gone. It's gone. And the king says, well, what can I do to make it better? How could I help you? Kings didn't say that to the people who worked for them, but he did. How can I help you? And here's what he replied in verse 5. I'm going to jump ahead, James. Verse 5. I replied, if it please the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Then the king questioned him. He's sitting beside his queen. He, he said, how long are you going to be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, listen to this. So he has the permission to go, but he needs a decree. I also said to the king, if it pleased the king, let me have letters. What were letters? They were the decree. Let me have letters making it official decree to rebuild Jerusalem. That's what he had. And the king gave him those letters and he went off on that journey to do just that, to rebuild the city. That's the decree. And we are thankful. We are thankful to historians that can go back and put a calendar date for us so it makes a little sense to us so we can say, oh, okay, that's where it was on our calendar. They can do that because they have the information from Daniel and they have the historical records of what happened during that time. And here's where we go with that. They had the decree. At that moment, God clicked his little stopwatch and he had a calendar beside him and, and he was ready to count down the days from that moment. When the decree was issued, the stopwatch was punched and he began to count days. Day one, day two. Day three. But what was that first day? Where did it begin? Historians tell us the clock starts. This is blank number 10. March 14th, 445 BC. That's when the, that's when the decree to rebuild Jerusalem was issued. March 14th, 445 BC. 
and the stopwatch gets punched and they start counting days. How many days? 173,880 days to go until we hit the end. The stopwatch started. Now, according to history, we could put our date on it for just our modern date, blank number 11. It's going to end at April 6th, 32 AD. It started at March 14th. 445 B.C., it's going to end at April 6th, 32 A.D. Now, our numerical dates here, historians will fluctuate on those just because the calendars are different. But the number of days, they're the same. 173,880 days on the Jewish calendar. What happened? 173 days, 880 days after that decree was given, 445 years before Jesus was born, what happened those days later? That's what we're going to read about. Blank number 12. Luke chapter 19. We have it recorded right here for us, verse 29 through 44. Luke 19, 29. Here we go. This is Jesus and his disciples. We already know the anointed one is Jesus, right? But let's see what that was. 173,880 days later, what was that event? Where the anointed one, the king, was presented to Israel. Here we go. Jesus, verse 29 here, as they came, they being Jesus and the disciples, came to these towns, and these towns they describe here were over by the Mount of Olives. He, that's Jesus, sent two disciples ahead of him. Verse 30, go into the village there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there. No one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying the colt, just say the Lord needs it. Now, let me pause here for a moment. They were not stealing the donkey. This was not, Jesus didn't come riding in on a hot donkey. It, it was not grand theft donkey. This was, this was a password. And here's the way this played. It was a password. When they gave them the password, it was like, oh, this was the prearranged. They're supposed to, yeah, okay, we got it. We're with you. So here's how it went down. So they went, verse 32, so they went and they found the cult just as Jesus had said, why it was prearranged. And sure enough, sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that cult? It's like they're waiting on the password. And they said, the Lord the Lord needs it. And they were like, ah, oh, you said the password. And so they, they replied, Lord, so they brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And he rode along and the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. This is happening. One 173,880 uh, days after the decree, this moment in history is happening. And what is it? Jesus being presented to Israel as their king and Messiah, the anointed one. My mind blown. God said it, and it happened. But guess what? Now this is happening. We're saying, well, how did the, how God even gave us more information about this moment. He said it would happen and it happened just like that. In fact, what is being described as the anointed one coming in, the Messiah being presented to us, what is being described was described hundreds of years earlier by a guy named Zechariah. This is your blank number 13, Zechariah 9, 9. 
And Zechariah wrote about this moment in time when the anointed one would be presented as king. Here's what he said, verse 9. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. It's there, riding on a donkey's colt. God said, I'm going to write it down before it happens so that when it happens, you can say, see, look, just like God said. And that's what happened. Let's go back to the instance where Jesus is riding in. Luke 19, verse 37. So they reached the place, Jesus riding on the donkey, to that place. When they reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing. Okay, so what were they shouting and singing? Because this is unfolding just like Daniel, Gabriel told Daniel, and just like Zechariah said, this is happening what were they shouting and singing? Well, here it is. As they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen, here's what they were shouting, verse 38. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're calling Jesus their king, coming in the name of the Lord. And they say, peace in heaven and glory in the highest in heaven. Now, it just so happens that God wanted another thumbprint of authentication on this event because it was so important. He had the psalmist write that down hundreds of years before it ever happened. What did they write down that would happen when the king was presented to them? Here it is, Psalm 118. You've heard this verse before used in other ways. It says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Have you heard that? I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Have you heard that before? This is the day. We, we tend to apply that to every day that we live. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. But, but I want you to understand, this was not written about every day. That psalm was written about this day. This one single day when the king is being presented to Israel. This day, among all other days in the world. This day. This single day. Listen to how it reads. Blank 14. Psalm 118, verse 22 through 27. Verse 22 through 27 of 118. Here's how it reads. Verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Oh, I wish I could land here and talk. We don't have time. Verse 23. This is the Lord's doing. In other words, not by accident. And it is wonderful to see. God put all this together. I can't believe I'm seeing it. They're saying. Verse 24. This is the day. Not just any day. This day that we're experiencing, that we're talking about in the future, this day is the day the Lord has made. He is his plan. He put it together. It's going to happen just like he said, and he orchestrated it. This day, today, more than any other day in the world, this day, not just any day, the day the anointed one will be presented as king, this day, he said, the Lord has made. He orchestrated it. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Verse 25. Please, Lord, please save us. Oh, yeah. Please save us, Lord. Please give us success. Verse 26. What did they say? Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. All of Israel knew that that phrase... Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That phrase identifies not just anybody. It identifies the Messiah, the King of Israel. The Messiah, the anointed one. And then listen to how this ends. Verse 27. The Lord is God shining upon us. Take the sacrifice. 
oh, I wish we could hang out here. We don't have time. But listen, go with, take the sacrifice and bind it with cords to the altar. It's talking about Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. And they were declaring him the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And what happened? How did it play out? Exactly like that. As Jesus rides in on the donkey, just like Zacharias said he would. As it happens on the day that Gabriel told Daniel it would happen on this day, 173,880 days after the decree, that was the day. He came in on the donkey, just like Zechariah said. The people said exactly what the psalmist said they would say. Blessed, he's the one who comes in the name of the Lord. It's our king, our Messiah. But here was a problem, verse 39. But some of the Pharisees, now the Pharisees, They knew. Oh, the Pharisees had this word memorized. They had the Old Testament. We do good to get a verse, don't we? They had the Old Testament memorized, word for word. The Pharisees. When they heard that phrase being shouted by the people, they were like, what? How can you say that about this man, Jesus of Nazareth? How can you say this? You're calling him the king. You're calling him the Messiah. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said this, and they look at Jesus and they say this, teacher, they're not going to call him Messiah or king, rabbi. These people elevated him from rabbi to Jesus the Messiah king. But not the Pharisees. They said, teacher, rabbi, rebuke your followers for saying things like this. They knew that Psalm 118 was talking about the king, the Messiah. And they knew that if the people were calling Jesus the Messiah, the king, they knew what they were implying with this verse. We didn't know that, right? We didn't know that because we're not Jewish. They knew that, and it was a big deal, big deal. Listen to how Jesus responds to them. He's on the donkey. Listen to this. It's as if he picked up a big rock, and he looked at these Pharisees in the eyes, and he replied in verse 40, if these people, if they kept quiet These stones, these stones along the road would burst into cheers if they kept silent. Now that sounds like he's just being really kind of quick on his feet, doesn't it? Jesus is being serious. He's saying if for some reason these people did not say what was supposed to be said, Because God said it, which means it's going to happen. He said it before it happened, and it happened. And if they, for some reason, did not do their part, and they kept quiet, he said, these stones would yell that I am the king, that I am the Messiah. Because it's going to be said, because God said it would be said. That's what Jesus is telling them. If they didn't do their job, these stones would do their job for them because that's what the prediction said, and it's going to go down exactly the way God said it would. Wow, think about this. Man, how could Daniel have known? How could these other writers have known that this is what was going to happen? Hundreds and hundreds of years before it ever came down, how could they know? They could not have known. This is God's thumbprint on this moment in history. His thumbprint for you and for me that said, see, I told you this is what was going to happen. This is from me. This is real. It's not over. We got to keep going. Listen to this. Verse 41. But as they came closer to Jerusalem... Jesus saw the city ahead, and he began to weep. Now listen, this, this word is not like the commercial from the 70s, the Native American that had the tear when he saw the trash. No. Jesus, this word implies that Jesus 
he, he wailed. He sobbed at this moment. He wailed out loud. Don't miss this. During this celebration of the people declaring Jesus the King and the Messiah, which he is, Jesus in that moment begins to sob. Wail. Not out of relief. He sobs. He wails with a heavy heart. And here's what he does. He trains his eyes now on those Pharisees who were questioning him. And he speaks to them as if he's speaking to all of Israel who has rejected Jesus. He says this, Oh, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. Here's what he's saying. You guys, you have this memorized. You have known this since you were a child. God told Gabriel, he said, here's the day when this happens, the decree, then 173,880 days later, I'm going to show up and I want you to be ready for me. I want you to be looking for me. Expect me to be there. But you didn't look you didn't. You just lived your life like normal. And he said, oh, you Pharisees, above all of these other people who have not been to school like you've been to school, you should have known and told them that I was coming. Jesus wept as he talked to these guys, oh, how I wish that today you of all people would understand the way to peace. What did Daniel say? I, God, when are we going to have peace? And the prince of peace showed up on that day. 173,880 days, just like God said. But then he said some of the most chilling words that we could ever read as he looked at the Pharisees and speaking to the Israelites. But now it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. He said, fellas, because you weren't watching I told you to watch. I told you to understand because you weren't watching and waiting and expecting and looking at your calendar and counting the days just like I told you to do it. You didn't do it. They heard the most dreadful words that anyone could ever hear from the mouth of Jesus as he said, but now it's too late for you. Wow. And I must pause in this moment and simply say, when your God, the creator of this world and you, your Savior, your Messiah, when he nudges your heart, respond. Respond. So that the words you are too late. Some people say, Harley, but you don't understand. Harley, you have no idea how bad I have been. My friends, you don't know how bad I have been. There's not one person who has ever been created that has been too bad for God to save. They were just too late. He says, you should have known blank number 15. Did I skip blank 15? Daniel 9, 26. Back to Daniel. Daniel said this. Gabriel said to Daniel, listen. The people of the coming prince will destroy the city and the sanctuary. He said, here's what's going to happen. The prince is going to come on that day, the exact day, just as he did. And then that anointed one, that Messiah, is going to be killed. 
That's what Gabriel told Daniel. I mean, it's there. He's going to be killed. And it's going to look as if he didn't accomplish anything. And then after that, after he is killed, sometime after that, the people of the coming prince will destroy the city and the sanctuary. In other words, Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed again. After Jesus, the Messiah, dies, the city and Jerusalem will be destroyed again. And now let's go to Jesus. That's the last part of blank of 15 is Luke 19, 43 and 44. Jesus reminds them of what Daniel said. He says this, Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. Verse 44, they will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. He says this, you've missed it. And because you missed it, as Daniel was told, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. God said it before it happened. And then it happened. A.D. History tells us. A.D., 70 years after Jesus was born, that exact thing happened. The enemies of Israel came in, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, and it is destroyed, the temple, to this day. It happened. It was written before it ever happened, and then it happened just as Daniel was told and Jesus reminded them it happened just like that. Wow. Wow. Let me visit one more phrase. Verse 26. Gabriel reminded Daniel, after this period of 62 sets of seven, we had already had the seven sets, that totals 69, which totals 173,880 days. After the event, when the Messiah comes in, the king comes in and is presented to you, riding on the donkey, and the people present him and say that, when all that happens, then, he said, the anointed one will be killed. And he was on the cross. From the moment he walked in on this donkey, days later, a few days later, April 9th, 32 B.C., calendar dates, conflict, different things. But days after this, he was on the cross and he was dying, just as Gabriel said. Appearing, he said, to have accomplished nothing. What looked like a tragedy to us, what looked like an ending, what looked like a tragic ending to God's plan in the life of Jesus, a tragedy, it all ended. It was all for nothing, seemingly. It was actually God's triumph. It was his triumph because God, listen to this, don't miss it. We call this the triumphant entry. God was presenting his sacrifice and placing his son, his sacrifice on the altar for you and for me, for the entire world, so that all, anyone who chooses to submit their lives to God will be connected to him forever, all eternity. Wow. God wrote it down before it ever happened. And it happened just like that. There were many times in the life of Jesus that they wanted to present him as king. Many times. Many times they wanted to present him as king, as Messiah, from rabbi to king, many times. But guess what? Jesus declined every single time. And you know what he said? Things like this to them. He said, guess what? No, 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 no. You can't. No, no. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And he would slip away from the crowd. What was he waiting on? 173,880 days he was waiting on his father's calendar and timing. God gave us the days. 
and we had it exactly. And Jesus said, but my hour has not come. But God had this plan down to the hour. And it is his thumbprint for you and for me to say, look, this is my plan. This is not by chance. I orchestrated this. My son dying for you. And so here's the last blank. Number 16. This is for all of us. As the band makes their way to the front, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with this Jesus? Jesus, the Messiah. God who said, I am going to give you my sacrifice, my son, and present him to you as the king and the anointed one. And here's the day it's going to happen. What are you going to do with this Jesus? And my hope is if you have struggled with belief that something this morning has clicked in your heart and you said, I may not have all of my questions answered, but I know this, Jesus was sent to die for me. And this morning, if for the very first time you are recognizing that Jesus died for you and you say, yes, Jesus, you died for me. Three days later, you rose again for me. If that's what you're saying, if that's you, and you're saying, Jesus, when you died on the cross for me, you purchased my life with your blood. And that means I, Jesus, I belong to you. Sometimes we call that becoming a Christian. The way you hear us describe it at Stuttgart Harvest Church is becoming a follower of Jesus. That moment you recognize you died for me. Three days later, you rose again. You purchased my life with your blood. So I give you my life. I belong to you. I follow you. If this morning for the very first time you are recognizing that and saying, Jesus, I belong to you, I follow you, on the back of your connection card, would you mark that that says, for the first time I'm becoming a follower of Jesus, a follower of Christ, a Christ follower. Would you mark that? And then there's other information about some things we want you to pick up in, in, in the lobby there before you leave. Will you do that? Pick that up as you leave. Let me know on your connection card. And for all of us this morning, what will you do with this Jesus? Let's pray. God, as Daniel prayed, he said, God, we have sinned. Please forgive us. And God, we, many of us this morning, are saying the same thing. God, we have sinned. We have walked away from you, lived our lives as if it didn't matter, as if you didn't matter. We haven't been watching for you. We haven't been looking for you. And God, please forgive us. Thank you that the very fact that we can call out to you right now means we are not too late. When we say to you, God, what you did on the cross for the world, you did for me. When you rose three days later, you defeated death. You did that for me. And your blood that was shed on the cross, that purchased my life. And I freely give it to you right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray our Messiah, our King, we pray. Amen. <laughs>